Hello, my friend. Before we start this amazing episode, I want to invite you to the personal Patreon page of this podcast. If you love what's being done here and want to keep the podcast and the meditations free to the public, then you can come on over to our brand new community on Patreon and donate $11.11 a month and all proceeds will go towards keeping this free, keeping this going. Plus, we'll be building a community together, and I'll give you bonus material. You can explore this option in the description of this podcast, or just go to patreon.com slash Dr. Reese. Let's begin. Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. A program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. So what is personal liberation? Welcome to episode number 101. Today, I'm talking with Mark Pelter. He's a 50-plus year veteran of mindfulness. And as a coach, he helps people to get closer to their personal liberation and their awakening of the heart. So sit down, relax, and take in this beautiful and valuable recording. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kevin. It's a quite a privilege to be here with you. What is personal liberation? Personal liberation in, you know, everyone might have their own unique way of saying that, but for me, personal liberation has to do with several factors. I, at the core of it, I believe that every human being has a strong spiritual and emotional need for a meaningful sense of connection. And I would say our tendency is to get in the way or interrupt that because we don't really know the terrain. We may be daunted by the idea, even though we have this hunger. And so personal liberation involves some of the work that you've been involved in with helping people to change their beliefs and attitudes, especially negative concepts about themselves and negative self-concepts. And as a person migrates from feeling less than or unworthy to a different mindset of seeing themselves as worthy and generative in this cycle, of course, they have to face their fear of change. Mm. And I would say that's one of the impediments to growth is the fear of change. Mm. Uh, because we know we can survive at this other octave because we have we don't know if we could survive this idea of thriving. And so uh, we hesitate. So it's, I think personal liberation has to do with freeing ourselves of the shackles in our own mind that hold us back from a sense of being free in our life to live uh, a good life and to thrive. Mm -hmm. So you've been, you've been at this for 50 years. Yes. Our, we have this machine in our head that just yibbity, 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 right? It's just constantly yeah. moving and our, our subconscious kind of dictates what those thoughts are for the most part, our programming, if you will. How can someone release themselves of negativity and fear? I have an answer for that question. If I were to ask you the question, why does a whale breach? I'm confident you would say because it needs the next breath. And so if we look at why do these negative thought patterns and with the emotional ties to them surface, it's because not really to um, harm ourselves. It isn't about self-harm. It's about not understanding that we have emotional needs and not being clear what our emotional needs are. Mm. Our emotional needs primary emotional need, fundamental emotional need that any healthy human being has that we share is the need for a meaningful sense of connection. 
with ourself as the most important of all of the connections. And so how do we do that? And so one of the ways that to do that, and then I teach people in my work, is how to talk with themselves, how to love themselves, and how not to see themselves as a victim in their own mind, but we create those, those negative voices when they surface are opportunities for connection. So if we, if we take the role in our own mind, like the nurturer or like a nurturing parent using that language of um, inner child work, and we talk to that part of ourself that came up with negativity, with self-abusing uh, messages, if we say something to it like, sweetheart, please come here, you're not in trouble, and we welcome it rather than get into this antagonistic piece in our own mind. And we say things like, you are a part of me, you will always be a part of me, you're coming with me, reassuring, you're coming with me throughout this whole life. And then we turn that compassionate part of our mind toward that, like a satellite dish of compassion. Hmm. And similarly, in our heart, turn that loving part of our heart, like a satellite dish of love, to uh, love and connection toward that part and swoop that part up, embrace it in our love, in our compassion, in our connection. Then what we've done is we've connected to the core emotional need that's in that location in our emotional landscape. And so part of that process of evolution, personal freedom, is that we take ourself that it didn't come up randomly. It came up because there is a specific need in that specific part of our emotional landscape and we make it right, not wrong. It isn't a wrong. Hmm. It's right that it surfaced it, like a whale. It needed that next breath. This part of us needed to feel connected. So it's it, almost like being a parent to your thoughts. Exactly. Taking responsibility for like the child within and emotional needs. Hmm. Self-compassion. Yes. Well, what about a higher sense of fear, though? I mean, a lot of people are scared of failure. You know, they're starting a project. They're scared. They're starting a new job. They're scared. They're starting a new relationship. They're scared. But what about some of the bigger stuff? Illness, loss. Well, those are important things to recognize those fears and not to, so first of all, what I hear you saying, Kevin, is <clears throat> first of all, to identify it. Maybe we say to ourselves, yes, I have a fear of failure. Yes, I have a fear of a success. Yes, I have a fear of poor health. Yes, I have a fear of aging, which of course I'm a couple of years older than you and I can, so, so then what do we do with that? So the first part is we tell ourselves the truth. Honesty is the best policy, not ignorance. You know, um, I trained for many years and I still consider myself uh, a student of the wisdom schools, uh, not just of the Far East, but, um, you know, interfaith, um, East and West. And so I learned from all of the different schools. And part of what I see is that the spiritual path is not a path of ignorance. It's a path of wisdom based on telling ourselves the truth and not to be afraid of the truth. Be real with ourselves about the truth. And then what? So then when we look at our fear, why is it here? What does it, what does it need to know? How can we relate with that? And so again, we're courting this interior relationship that's part of our inner dialogue and then, of course, in our global communities, part of that dialogue. And so one of the things, you know, in the wisdom schools that we're taught, even in terms of Native American traditions, we're taught is to live as though death is right here, standing right next to us. Knowing that each breath could be the last. If that were the case, how would we want to live this moment? And to attempt to live moment to moment as clean as pure as we would like that moment to be in my relationship with you, even though we're just getting to know each other, that you get a sense that I care about you as a human being. I applaud you in your success. 
and I encourage you to keep taking the next step. So there's that place, not just as a, an elder in the tribe, but that sense of knowing that I too walk with these fears and have need to face them, be honest with myself. And so fear has a lot to teach us. Uh, what, what do I need to do? And so maybe in the inner dialogue, I say to myself, you know, I don't know what to do about that, but we'll find out. Let's find out. And so I'll use that as a message. Well, I need to find out about that. So little by little, you know, one step follows the next, knowing I can't get ahead of myself, even though I wished I knew the answer right now, life isn't always that easy. And so life is a journey. It's an evolution in process. And little by little, we find the answers that we need. We can slow the mind down too into stillness. Be still and know. Yes. All right. Well, and that's the beauty of meditation. And I know that you have a meditation practice as well, is that when we go into meditation and then when we come out of the meditation, open our eyes, the room that we're in doesn't appear the same as it did before. And we don't feel the same in it. And we bring that beauty from within back into the world with uh, a new sense of life. Yeah. Yeah. So how can someone plan for the future, but yet still stay kind of present? Well, it's like putting a puzzle piece together, you know, uh, whatever the project is, um, step by step. Um, you don't have to have all the answers, but you maybe start to generate the questions. And then little by little, you answer the questions. And then as you answer the questions, little by little, you see how the puzzle pieces fit together in a way that makes sense. So I think it's important that you, like you said, you really can't get ahead of yourself and you do want to live in the moment. And part of living in the moment is that you have the ability to focus your mind. You have the ability to focus on your senses and to experience through all your senses, the present moment. And there may be, uh, I like this image, Kevin, of um, if I had one pebble and I was standing by a pond and I throw the pebble into the pond and the pebble breaks the surface of the water and there are these ripples that flow out and just observe the ripples. So maybe I have a thought, what about this project? And then I watch the ripples that come out of that. And maybe a little later in the day, there's another pebble I throw in. So I would say, you're right, you can't get ahead of yourself. And at the same time, we plan for things whether it's going grocery shopping and you make a list um, and moment, let's see, we live in the moment and sometimes we privilege certain parts of life with our attention, which we get, we can get tunnel vision. It doesn't mean we're out of the moment. It's just that we're not aware of all that is in the moment we're doing the shopping list maybe because that's our focus. You've led and lead many groups, meditation, anger management, so on and so forth. But I noticed you do men's workshops too, right? Yes. I've been looking for a men's group. Like I, I always think like how cool it would be to have a bunch of guys that, you know, can talk, right? Because you don't necessarily want to do it in front of the women sometimes because then, <laughs> then you might get judged as a pansy. <laughs> but when you got men together that can kind of vent and and go over their struggles that that seems kind of cool what's been your experience with men's workshops well you know there's different type of men i think that as you were talking one thing that is true about men that want to be in a men's group is there's a certain theme some men's groups are focused on sports and some are spoke focused on more internal aspects for men that are sensitive. And I think a lot of men really have a sensitive uh, part of themselves, but we don't want to be judged as being a pansy, like you said. Mm -hmm. And so we make a safe place for, to be feeling, to be sensitive and to make space in the group for men to 
process, you know, their feelings, not necessarily a therapy group, although it could be. Uh, years ago, I got involved in something called the men's movement, uh, Robert Bly and Michael Mead and uh, James Hillman, different Jungian uh, psychologists. And it was incredible to really, uh, the largest event I went to was in San Francisco at the Masonic temple there. Mm. And I think there were about a thousand men were there. And so now there wasn't uh, time and space for everyone to talk. Uh, and Robert Bly and the other gentlemen really led the show. And, but there was a variety of themes. Uh, Michael Mead is, you know, quite the, the poet. And also he does storytelling using a drum. And so, and so there, and there also was some drumming and having themes like that, that are ancient, like uh, playing drums, it, it brings, so in my Buddhist tradition, part of what I, you know, the, the drum, what's the significance of the drum? So the significance of the drum is it gets everyone's heart in the same rhythm. And then of course the mind follows the heart. So, and with the poetry and storytelling, it got us thinking about certain things. Uh, some of the stories from uh, Grimm's fairy tales and different things about, because we as men, sometimes we experience what might be called using a more uh, spiritual way of saying it, the dark night of the soul. Mm. And uh, any loss can take us there. And, you know, some are more significant than others. And you, like I, we've been through several in this lifetime and some of them were challenging to go through but what the dark night really initiates us if we have the courage and the support to go through is the awakening of the heart that follows that which is also a very uncomfortable experience because then we're opening ourselves to all of these emotions and not all of them are pleasant it, it must be some sort of synchronicity or sign that you just brought that up because i just went through a dark night arguably still am in one coming out I had a rough March, April. I, I didn't, you know, I've had this spiritual practice for so long and sometimes you just go so deep and, you know, you have a Satori or two, you have some mystical moments and you get this bliss and then all of a sudden something comes along in life that triggers this so-called dark night. I, I would have never thought that I could go into some sort of depression, if spiritual depression, because six months ago I was solid. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, whoa, how did this happen? Can you uh, speak to that? Yes. So first of all, there's two, any loss, some losses are much more significant than others. Uh, you know, we're just beginning the process of coming out of the COVID space. And there's been a lot of losses, some friends, some family, some people we didn't know. But it's um, daunting to see the number of people that have uh, not survived this time. Yeah. And other types of losses, again, some more severe than others. But when the dark night comes, there's this loss and there's two ways to get through it. And you know people that have done both, including yourself. Um, some people that what happens with the loss because they don't want to feel their feelings. They want to shut down around that pain. They don't want to go back to that. They don't want to talk about whatever that was. Let's say it was a failed relationship. They don't want to talk about that person anymore. Well, then what happens is they become embittered. And that's a living hell. And so um, St. John, in writing that book, The Dark Night of the Soul, what he knew from his experience is that Finding gratitude for anything, the next breath that you could hurt this badly, anything 
Um, it keeps the door of your heart at least cracked open. Now, me and my understanding or limited understanding, I believe that any of the, the ascension beatitudes, which are love, praise, and gratitude, will keep your heart open. And it's difficult sometimes to find love and praise when your heart's breaking. Interesting. So gratitude is always easy because there's always something to be grateful for. Yeah. And so that keeps your heart open. And then what happens is you work through it because as you go through the dark night, it's a time to reevaluate. Who are you? Where are you going with this life? And who will come with you? And in men's work, those questions are important in that order because if you ask yourself who's coming with you before you've asked yourself, where am I going with my life? It puts things out of order. It's first important to know where you're going with your life. And then who comes with you is secondary. Hmm. Some people won't, won't come with you. Some will, but you can't make where you're going dependent on who's coming with you. And then what happens afterward is that as your feelings arise, to embrace them, to be honest with yourself. Yes, I feel this. And yes, it feels very uncomfortable and the type of discomfort that I don't prefer and it's here. And I open myself to this depth and breadth of emotion. It's not gonna kill me to feel my feelings, mm. feel them and like a tsunami, let that wave of emotion uh. all the way through, let it come through. And then on the other yeah. side, the water's calm and you have then earned that depth of emotional trust and self-respect that you didn't turn away from your feelings. You faced them. Yeah, had no choice. Yeah, I remember, I'm saying I remember like it happened five years ago. It had just happened uh, uh, maybe a little over a month ago. But I had this incredible tsunami you just use that word tsunami of crying for seven days straight mm. where i had one episode let's just call it 20 minutes just for the sake of measurement one episode every day for seven days straight and it was <laughs> i didn't know if it was gonna end i didn't know why it was happening i was like what is this this can't happen to me i have a spiritual practice i'm following the path of, path of a mystic how can this be happening <laughs> and you just said tsunami so it made me think of that well and you know kevin and i'm sure this was part of your experience as well is that when you cry that much what happens is your chest gets sore yeah bruised, uh, from the act of crying and which again it and the neck back of the neck. And so what I encourage everyone, including myself, as we go through that is if you can let your heart break open. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got a lot of silver linings though, Mark, you know, my relationship with my parents is better. Beautiful. Told my dad, I love him for the first time in my adult life, Beautiful. you know, things like that. And God, God, you talked about gratitude. You know, God people have a lot of gratitude. Yes. Because the whole story is this is your father who created you. And so when you can tap into that energy, and some people call it source or universe, whatever you want to call it, when you can tap into that, energy a feeling that's kind of unexplainable happens and that's what i've been experiencing a little at a time beautiful whereas before following the path of more of a more of a, a mystic you know more of a buddhist mystic approach you know it was just a little different but there are very much God-based mystics out there too. Jalaladeen Rumi comes to mind. 
Yes. Who praised God. If you read Rumi's poems, you think he's talking about a woman. He's talking about God or source, his beloved. Yes. This is powerful stuff. It is. One of the things that I want to say here, Kevin, without going too far into this piece, uh, the phrase is called a critical purchase and how it applies to our mysticism and um, both in terms of what our, what's our faith, the foundation of our faith as a child, what were we raised with, what, what icons, what, um, what were the basic fundamental parts of what we were raised with. And so that it isn't that we don't augment that foundation and grow more, but we all start somewhere. And even um, if someone, let's say, is uh, some, I hear some people say recovering Catholic, whatever it is, those icons are still very important and shouldn't be neglected, especially the ones that resonate for you. And so, for example, if I was to go to a supermarket, I'm not buying the whole market. Uh, I'm not buying there to buy the rotten tomatoes. I'm there to buy the things that I want that are good and that I want to bring home. Similarly, and um, and differently in terms of our mysticism and our relationship with the ecstatic is that um, we find what resonates for us, even either for the now or for the long haul. And, uh, whether it's God, uh, goddess, whatever, you know, whatever it is, uh, in my limited understanding of spirituality, I came to, uh, under, to recognize a relationship. And I have a relationship with uh, a part of, I think, of, I, I don't know how to define it, but I, the word that comes to mind is uh, higher self. Yeah. And I feel very guided and directed in this life. And um, I listen, I listen to the guidance and uh, take it. I have a, you'll be interested in the story. I'll keep it relatively brief. So at this point in my life, I was living up in the high Sierras and I was coming back home after doing some grocery shopping and it was just snowing a little bit. And I had one of those light little pickup trucks and I thought, ah, do I need to put chains on? The snow wasn't sticking, all of that. Well, I come around this curve and the back of my truck starts to turn, go around and I'm coming up a hill. And from my vantage point, it looked like the cars that were coming down the hill were going backwards. Hmm. And my car spun out and across the road. And at the moment my car went over the embankment toward the trees, I heard a voice and it sounded like a woman's voice. She said, duck now. And I did. And I just stayed ducked over. And, um, and then after the, my vehicle had stopped and all of that, I was trying to sit up and I felt like something was going like this on the top of my head. Uh-huh. And I looked up and it was a cedar branch had come right through my window. Uh-huh. If I hadn't ducked, I wouldn't be here today. Uh-huh. And and the fronds were still kind of shaking and were going like that across my head. Wow. So, you know, we have many different life experiences, but part of what the life experiences show us is it reinforces our, our core spiritual spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear many stories about higher self and having it, that inner guide. Uh Yeah, I, I heard a similar story recently, actually. Somebody was saying that they were driving and a voice told them to stop just in the middle of the highway. And he did. And a truck came flying by that would have hit him. Wow. So now were you in touch with this higher self before this incident? Yes. I've, I've had this relationship with my higher self For more than 30 years. Wow. What are some tips and direction to get in touch with this higher self? Which is the God within? Yes. Um, 
you know, I think prayer is helpful. Um, prayer as in talking to God? Well, yes, and I would say it this way. Um, God can seem distant and unavailable. And so when a person's praying to know God and to know a part of God that we have proximity with, we have closeness with, the higher self is that is con- I would say conceptually, a part of God that my mind is capable of relating with, because there's so much to uh, beyond the beyond, uh, beyond what my mind can understand regarding God. So this is uh, an aspect of God that I can relate with, that is right here uh, with me. I, I don't often think of my higher self on a daily basis, but I know that um, it's an important part of this lifetime. Mm. Yeah, many have explained it almost like we're like a lamp and we're plugged into a wall. And that electric current that's coming into our body, our lamp, that's source, that's God, that's God energy. And uh, we, we have it in us. We have, we have a great capacity to do things that people can't even imagine. And if you talk to a God person, say a, you know, a Bible reading Christian, let's just say, Many of them who practice, who pray, who are really, really into it, will say they have heard the voice of God, that God can talk to them. So, you know, this is the higher self. <laughs> yes. Or you, or you, you, or you can say it's God. I mean, it, tomato, tomato, almost in a way. I agree. Yeah. So it's just interesting to me. I one of my favorite or my favorite line in the Bible is be still and know that I am God. But then also it says that God is love. So now let's replace, let's put love in there, you know, be still and know that I am love. But there's something about that stillness that is very beneficial for a human being. Wouldn't you say? Definitely. You mentioned the feeling of opening up after a meditation and looking around. So I've always thought, you know, there's two ways to sort of reach this liberation, let's call it. There's the stillness or awareness. And then there's the love, the praying, the celebration, the, the gratitude. And so people can kind of travel to two different paths to get to the same location, right? Yes. I, you know, that's one part of life that I think is important is that we respect that. Well, uh, one of my teachers used to say that uh, sam- samurais don't question the comings and goings of other samurais. Hmm. Um, but there's, you know, it isn't necessary. What your lifetime is about, what this lifetime. So I, I have this belief that we choose, we co-create our reality. We, we choose to incarnate into the circumstances that we incarnated because, on the level of the soul, it needed a certain uh, life experience certain opportunity, and especially in a lifetime that may be where there might be many struggles in early life, maybe with our parents, maybe in the social setting. Uh, For example, maybe there could be some type of prejudice, whether it's racial prejudice or religious prejudice, but we're born into this environment because of the opportunity that it gives. It gives us this opportunity to learn and grow from those lessons. Mm-hmm. And maybe, uh, you know, in your lifetime and my lifetime, there's this um, teaching healing function. And so all of those different uh, traumas, impacts, created opportunities for each of us to learn and grow. And then from that learning and growing, we have these um, 
gifts to give to fellow travelers that may have similar needs for someone to to be there for them at a specific time yeah. and who you are for them may be exactly what they needed yeah you mentioned you know when we were talking about dark night of the soul and you mentioned you know, kind of like the window of the heart kind of opening just cracking open can can you speak more to awakening of the heart because this is again like i said there's there's the awareness and then there's the love or the heart and they they both kind of lead to the same place the awakening of the heart is a different path than say being a zen master yes and also in in buddhism there are certain teachers that um that do, that have that um gift that do teach the awakening of the heart so going back there was a renaissance in buddhism uh, about a thousand years ago and dharma kirti was uh one of the buddhist teachers of the time in uh asia and his principal one of his students one of his principal students was a uh, another student named atisha I won't uh, try to pronounce the rest of his name because it's a little awkward. Um, But Atisha had the awakening of the heart with Dharmakirti. And from that grew this practice that's core to Tibetan Buddhism. And it so helped me to recognize what my lane is in this lifetime that I have great value for it. The path is, the teachings are called Lojong, which means uh, training the mind. So it's a type of mindfulness training, specifically as it relates to loving kindness and compassion. Mm. And of course, loving kindness and compassion starts with how we relate with ourselves. Mm. So one, one of the places that whole thing opens is one of the teachings is always work on the most difficult area first, because that way you're not making something up that there's nothing there. You're dealing with something that's quite real for you. So, um, you know, anyway, that's Lojong. But in terms of the awakening of the heart, the first thing to identify in the awakening of the heart is this dull ache in here. That's the doorway in. Mm. In the solar plexus area? In the center? In the the heart, uh, like right below, between... Let's see. Well, you know, you, you know where yours is, wherever that dull ache is. It's that ache in the heart. If so, if it's there, good. And then what you imagine, the, so there's a type of meditation that goes back to the seventh century in Sufism. You talked about Rumi. Mm. So I, I, not only do I love Buddhism, but I also love uh, Sufism. Mm. And there's a similar Dharma, uh, similar teachings that not only reveal certain truths, but also help us to awaken to the, to the, uh, that truth, the truth of, um, so in Buddhism, there's two types of suffering. There's suffering that's inevitable. You love your parents at some point, if everything went um, with, you know, I'll say how, Think how you would want them to go is that how your parents would want it to go is that you outlive them. And, but when their bodies no longer contain, can contain life, then there's that grief. And that grief is an expression of love. Yeah. It's the, it's one of the shadow sides of love. It's one of the uncom- uncomfortable parts of love, but it's nevertheless, it's out of your love for them that you'll miss them when they're gone. Yeah. So in feeling that place in your heart, for me, it's, um, you know, I, I can't say it's always in one place, but at this point in my life, it's uh, below my sternum, kind of in the middle of my chest. So maybe I get a little closer, like right in here. Mm-hmm. 
And so in this meditation, what you imagine is that you can lean back into this place until you're all the way inside your heart. And then whatever's going on, like you talked about the dark night of the soul, it doesn't hurt as badly if you're on the inside of your heart as it does if you're on the outside of your heart. And so you, you come all the way inside and you allow all of your senses to register all of the ranges of sensitivities, what, what, you know, whether it's warm, uh, cold, whether it's uh, purple, whatever the colors are that may be associated with it. But also at the core of it is this sense of peace, that it's more peaceful to be inside your heart than outside your heart. And so in the awakening of the heart, what you decide over and over again, every time there's a feeling that's coming through, is you allow yourself the luxury of feeling what you do feel. And you let that wave of emotion, much like a tsunami, some, some are smaller waves, uh, some are bigger, but you let each of them flow all the way through. Yeah. You don't harden, you don't protect, but you allow yourself to feel the full gamut of your emotions. And what you learn to do is how you integrate that. How do you speak it? How do you um, include your emotions in your relationships? Because as, and you know, as with people that you're closest with, you want them to know how you feel, but not to dominate them. But so their intimacy is the sharing of these feelings that no one would know someone else is going through unless they're shared. Mm. And you have to also, in, in that intimacy, uh, evolve a certain type of emotional trustworthiness that not everyone is going to treat your emotions with the respect that they're due. And so if someone isn't capable of hearing that, then you trust them and you, you give them proximity. It isn't to keep them out, but you honor the nature of that relationship in terms of the emotional trustworthiness for that depth of intimacy. And so in the awakening of the heart, it isn't just the internal, but there's this integration into a life that makes life very rich. And at the same time, sometimes um, lonely because there's this desire to have relationships where you can share that intimacy and knowing that not everyone's up to it and everyone loses, but you can't force it. And so what happens in the awakening of the heart is you realize that you being connected with yourself, whether anyone else is around that you can connect with is primary. And as long as you have you, you've got someone. You're that someone. And that's the golden part of the awakening of the heart is you are that someone in your own heart. Mm. Yeah. That's going back to like, be still. Yes. Be still and know that I'm God. You developed a seven-day reflection guidebook. Can you tell yeah. me about that? Yes. Um, the name of the book is The Book of Reflections. And when I looked around at people that I was teaching and also looked to see uh, books that were available, I started to look for a good book that could be used for something called Life Review. And Life Review isn't just in terms of um, end of life. But it has to do with reckoning with, okay, this is your life and things like a bucket list. And, you know, that's people talk about having a bucket list, mm -hmm. but this is really an elaborate view of that so that you can really look at how are you living your life? Where are you going with your life? Who is coming with you? What are your goals and milestones? Did your life get off track? And I know you went through that yourself and you got it back on track. You, you did something about it. You listened 
and you were motivated and you did something and that process is ongoing. So the refinement goes on and on. And so this is the guidebook, the seven day guidebook is a life, a form of life review where you over time, you know, you it's to be used not just one time through, but throughout life in different times. Um, not necessarily every year, but especially at those key pivotal places in life where let's say if you were uh, about to get married or you're about to add something new in your life um, or you're maybe you're planning to retire, you know, what, what are the milestones that you want to achieve? Who's going to be there with you? How are you going to get there? And did something happen earlier that took you off base and have you transitioned from that into this, this iteration of your lifetime? And where can somebody get this guidebook? It's free on my website, mark-pelter.com. And free? Uh, yes. Don't hear that that often. <laughs> yes. And you have a 22-week workshop as well? You know, right now, Kevin, I'm, I'm not offering it in that format, but one thing I am offering is a free 30-minute breakthrough uh, session. Mm -hmm. And what I did, what I learned from teaching the 22-week class is that people were getting more from the one-on-one -on -one, one work with me that was part of the class and also I've been able to um, really look at what was important for people to learn. And so there are um, several main parts and depending on the person, there are additional pieces that may play into it. But the first part has to do with the belief system. And I know you, you work with that too. I use a metaphysical format. And again, I have integrated this whole piece we talked about earlier regarding understanding our emotional needs and how we nurture them because that plays a role with these negative self uh, negative belief systems from that we work on the um, negative self-concept right and then after after that we go through something called a process of forgiveness which is also a metaphysical process to take a person all the way through from the beginning why they would resist it and then all of the different steps to it. And then on the other end is really using forgiveness as a way to learn. What don't I want to do that way? What do I want to do in its place? And understanding that there's no magic wand, that life is experiential. And of course, you're going to make mistakes and then you'll learn and grow from them. One of my favorite uh, sayings is this uh, saying, they put erasers on pencils for a reason. And I recognize they sell extra erasers. Mm. So we're going to make mistakes. We'll learn and grow from it. Very few people are able to be, you know, spontaneous in their growth. But we, whoops, I did that again. Uh, when would I have known that I needed to do something differently? How, what was the indication? And so little by little, we asymptotically approach the place on the line that we're trying to get to, but we have to give ourselves the time and the space to become spontaneous with it, mm -hmm. to really integrate it. Right. And so where can people find you and come say hello? Well, let's see, they can find me on my website, mark-pelter.com and they can book a free 30 minute uh, breakthrough call and from there, uh, if they want to do more work, uh, we will set that up. Mm. Anywhere on social media we can find you? Yes. Also, I'm on Instagram. Okay. And um, let's see. I think that that's, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the at symbol, Mark-Pelter. Okay. And right now, Kevin, what I've been doing for the, I think I have over 20 small videos right now. I've been focusing on mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And so just short little uh, videos on mindfulness, different aspects of it. Yeah. Mindfulness. That's, that's, that's important. That's watch the mind, see what it's doing. Right. Yes. 
if you watch, you might be surprised. Definitely. <laughs> Do you think that, this is my last question. Do you think that, there's a debate on this, that if somebody is a negative thinker, that it can totally affect their life like they'll stub their toe or a car accident or, or what, or is it just vomit? Well, I don't think it's vomit. I don't think, um, let's see. Einstein had this saying, uh, Einstein said, God didn't gamble. And so what I'm saying there about our thoughts is that, and you know the expression from metaphysics, our thoughts create our reality. And so they're what we think we become, we, we validate those ideas uh, and prove ourselves right. And at the same time, punish ourselves out of, again, some kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts. I believe that a person really has to choose to change and do the work, which involves how they relate with those negative belief systems, whether the belief system might be um, I'm not good enough or the belief might be I'm not lovable. And so, you know, with those kind of conversations inside, then what we do is we create, uh, dramas that somehow satisfy that self con- self concept. Mm. So, you- yeah, to, to reverse it, you would just reverse engineer it, right? You would just think of something more positive. Yes, um, the thing that I do that also helps, though, is that um, if you can recognize, so one part of it, you're right. It's re- the re- reverse engineering. The other part is that when the negative part comes up, if you can recognize it as a part of you that has a need, then it makes you stronger because now you're nurturing, you're not just truncating that part Mm -hmm. of yourself that had that idea, but you're actually integrating it and carrying it with you, recognizing it as the indicator of an emotional need for connection, and that helps to make you stronger. Mm. well said mark this has been a great convo thank you for your time hey i really appreciate the opportunity i'd love to chat with you again when it works yeah but uh, this has been great kevin thank you i really appreciate you thanks for listening to inner peace with dr reese if this episode opened your heart feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.